Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our uh, abbreviated <laughs> countdown Surprise! look, Toonami Pre-Flight. Welcome to another Toonami Pre-Flight. It's okay, it's more for us to just talk. Just got to yeah, stretch it out. Fill the time. Just spanning time. <laughs> uh, today we're sort of doing another alternate universe reality. Yeah. The 50s. Yep. An awful time. <laughs> for uh, some people, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk Jinro number 43-ish on Pace Magazine. We're in the top 50, though. Firmly in the top 50. We are. Yeah. Uh, at least slightly. Yeah. Close. I don't think. I don't think we're going back. We have skipped around a little bit, but yeah. I think. I don't think there's any retreating into the <laughs> the back 50. Gotcha. I think we're only pressing forward. Uh, and then we're going to talk about some of our and your favorite 50s movies, because every now and then we try to tie everything together. Mm-hmm. Thematically. Uh, usually we fail, but we always Speak for sometimes yourself. try. I don't fail. Well, no, in terms of the movie and the question. Sometimes it's not tongue and groove. Yeah, gets pretty close, usually. Okay. Keep telling yourself that. Well, I'm the one who uh, usually comes up with the fucking questions. So if you... You could just come up with more of your own. Just work a little harder, and it might be more like, you know, you're worried about it now. Take it together. away. Take the cool. Okay, show us what's so we're up. gonna talk about Jinro. We which, haven't gotten through the whole rundown yet. Who gives a shit? They know by now. It's gonna be a bunch of stuff, and then. But first, we're gonna talk Jinro and fifties movies. Can we proceed? So uh, Jinro came out in 1999. It was a theatrical release, and I didn't know this until we did research. But um, there are two previous Jinro movies yeah. in this series of stories. The Kuros Panzacore yeah. manga series. Which were live action films, neither of which did very well. So when Oshi, Mamoru Oshi, who, who wrote these stories, basically directed the first two films. And they wouldn't let him direct the third one because the first two were flops. So he decided to make it as an animation. And he had a sort of acolyte direct it. Which is kind of which is really weird yeah. chain of events. I didn't know that um, when I saw the movie. Um, it it came out and got a pretty good theatrical push, as I recall, because I remember at least seeing it show up in theaters. I don't think I saw it in the. Theater, I didn't see it in the theaters. I remember seeing posters for it and stuff. So I think it got a a broad release after a while. Um, it's a really sort of challenging anime because it's. Super depressing. It's a bummer. And it's a super half. slow. It's super depressing. It's super gory, and it's very, very sad. Um, so basically, the story is about an alternate history uh, when Germany has won the uh, World War II and has occupied Japan. Basically, so these are essentially uh, homeland security soldiers. This movie's about a homeland security soldier who's in, working. F- for the Japanese government as an anti-terrorist sort of person. Shock troop, if you will. Yeah. Um, and he's super sad and kind of shut down because he's doing this horrible dehumanizing job. 
And the flashpoint of the movie is at the beginning where he's ordered to kill a young girl who's been identified as a terrorist and he can't bring himself to do it. And then she uses an improvised explosive device and blows herself up in the suicide bombing. And it only gets happier from there. Yeah. And that's and that's the yeah, that, that's the that's the, the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and then it that's just gets darker the, from there. Yeah. And then so uh, he visits the grave site of this girl because he can't get her out of his head. And he feels like it's the I think it's the first time he's sort of forced to really confront that. He might have a limit to what he's willing to do, and it's a disgrace for him. Like he, yeah, he gets in trouble yeah. for it. He gets he gets censured. He gets in a lot of trouble for not doing it because you know the government's position is you allowed her to set off this bomb by hesitating. Yeah, she didn't end up killing anybody other than herself, but yeah. they're like, you got off lucky. Yeah. So he visits her grave because he can't get her out of her, out of his head, and he meets a girl who says she's um, her sister. And so he starts to form a relationship with her. And slowly, as the movie goes on, you discover that the sister is a honeypot. Honey honey who is uh, She's someone who was a, also a bomber and got turned by the government and is working for another branch of the government that's trying to investigate his branch, whereas where it gets pointlessly convoluted in the way that many Oshi stories and do. And there's still another little twist and, yeah. to come. So then... So then she is trying to lead him into a trap because she's being forced to. And but then you find out that his unit has a special unit inside it that knows about this other government agency and is running a counter op against them. So like, yeah, it's like a a triple agent. Yeah. It's like double cross. Double cross. Double cross. That's the wolf brigade is the dream within a dream unit. So um, he essentially slaughters all these guys and the big turning point in the movie is he's asked to kill this girl so he's again presented with the choice of killing this young girl yeah, she's the loose end right. to be tied up and uh spoiler alert the movie ends with him killing her and him just sort of being depressed and sad about it and he's completely surrendered what little humanity he had left so it's a um, yeah, upbeat tale. She's um, reciting the Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, the Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, the big bad wolf. And in the middle of it, it's uh, <laughs> you hear the gunshot, and you see one of the other guys is like putting his gun back in because he was like, "This guy's not going to do it. I'll take care of it." And then one guy finishes is like, "And the wolf ate." Yeah, right. And then you it's find like, out it was him life. killing her. So a super fun movie. Um, it looks gorgeous. It's a really beautifully made movie. The violence is cr- is crazy gory. It's like, in yeah. terms of just gun violence, it's one of the more gory anime I've seen. Um, but it's really well done. The designs are impeccable. The dub is great. I mean, it's a, you know, it's production IG working at a high level, so it's worth watching. Yeah, and it's Hiroyuki Okiyoro later did Letter to Momo. Yeah, which is also great. Uh, we've also talked about here. Indeed. So uh, let's look at the trailer for Jinro, the Wolf Brigade. Once upon a time, there was a girl who hadn't seen her mother in seven years. she'd be taking the path of pins or the path of needles when the girl said that she was going to take the path of pins the wolf hurried off down the path of needles 
and ate up the little girl's mother. So, what happened to the girl who took the path of pins to go home? Tales of beasts getting involved with humans always end on a bad note. How about we take off someplace far away? We are not men disguised as mere dogs. We are wolves disguised as men. Wolves, not men. A tale of a girl who dreamed of a love with a man destined to live as a beast. Mother, what big claws you have! Mother, what big teeth you have! Jinro, the Wolf Brigade. They so, do a good job of making it feel exactly the bummer yeah, I was that it is. Say, so as fun as it looks, it's even <laughs> more fun to watch. But um, I would say it's a it's a great movie, but it's one that you're probably not going to watch more than once or twice. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seal up the disc and bury yeah. it in the backyard. But it's but it's, it's up there. Um, so, but worth but worth checking out in a in a kind of a fascinating alternate history tale of what might have been in Japan. Um, I think anime in particular does a really good job of grappling with Japan's complicated history, especially World War II and, you know, certainly post-atom bomb. Um, a lot of anime sort of delves into things that happened to the Japanese culture as a result of those two catastrophic events. Yeah. Um, so we just Blade Runner being the third. <laughs> so we decided to build off of that and talk about some of our favorite movies from the 1950s, which is when Jinro was set. So the question of the week was, what's your favorite 50s movie? And I have to say, I'll just confess that I, you know, I'm not super into movies from pre-1950. Like I know there, you know, as a a person who went to an art school, I know of all the classic films from the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and 50s, but it's like, as a leisure watcher, there's not very many films from before 1960, really, that I want to sit down and watch, um, so I don't have as broad of a knowledge of 50s film as I do from the 60s forward, because it's just some of it just feels it's so it's so from another era that i can't get through to yeah i mean the studio know. system 50s post-world war ii america where the yeah. best is yeah um so the 60s to me is when film really started to get interesting as auteurs kind of rose and the french new wave and which was the 50s too but um really that's where to me it started getting more exciting so um but that said, I do think there are some 50s films that do feel ahead of their time and still you can watch now and don't feel dated really beyond, you know, superficial stuff. Um, so one of the first ones I'll talk about is um, Orson Welles' classic Touch of Evil, which is from, I believe, 1959. And the story of Touch of Evil is interesting because there's two stories as to how it got made. One was Charlton Heston who is the star of the film, along with Orson Welles, who directed. Um, Charlton Heston was attached to star, uh, attached to the script, and they didn't have a director, and he have evidently said, 
well, who else is in it? And he saw that Orson Welles was cast as sort of the villain, and he said, well, I'd be really interested if Orson Welles was also directing. So the movie studio offered him the chance to direct, and he had been working in Europe doing um, stuff like Othello and sort of low-budget European Shakespearean stuff, and Welles was evidently really ready to try to mount a comeback, which is why he took the job in the first place of acting, because he didn't like acting. He preferred directing, but he was known also as an actor. Um, And he took the job. The other origin story is that Welles was in a meeting with a movie producer who they were having a conversation, and as a bet... Wells said, give me the worst piece of shit script you can, and I will still make it into a good movie because a good director is the most important thing. I kind of believe the first story more, but no one knows which of the two is true. But those are the two origin stories of this film. So Touch of Evil takes place in the 50s in a town that's basically Tijuana. They, They don't say it, but that's basically it. It's on the Mexican border. And the movie starts with a car bomb exploding. And Charlton Heston is a Mexican DA. So Charlton Heston is is playing a Mexican. So, again, this is the days of whitewashing. Um, He's playing a Mexican DA who uh, is worried about the implications for Mexico because it was a Mexican citizen who set off the bomb. And Orson Welles plays the crooked town sheriff who's sort of a ruined alcoholic shell of a man who's an abject racist who wants nothing more than to just find some Mexican to blame this thing on. And he ends up clashing with Charlton Heston and then uh, having attempting to have him killed and have his wife kidnapped. Janet Lee plays his wife, Janet Lee of Psycho, of course. Um, but it's shot amazingly. It looks gorgeous. Evidently, Wells did it in a way that was very uncommon for the time, which was the height of this you know the really the beginning of the decline of the studio era to be honest but this was sort of one of the last film noir that popped and one of the reasons is because a couple weeks before the shooting wells held rehearsals with the whole cast which no one ever did he also invited the cast to come up with their own dialogue if they differed with the dialogue so like he really had the unit of people working together which is not an uncommon approach these days to a lower budget film anyway um, but definitely then it was considered very unusual. Janet Lee talked about how exciting it felt to go to set every day and know that she was an active part of creating this thing instead of just being like the studio's tool. Um, so as a result it, it it's a great movie uh, it's amazingly well shot it, and um, it was re- taken away from Wells, of course, and re-edited and somewhat reshot by the studio, so it didn't end up being the big comeback he wanted. It flopped when it came out, and then in the 70s, when um, the auteur you know, theory was really at its height, they did a recut that released the longer version, and in the 90s, uh, the famous editor Walter Murch found Wells' notes, and he put together what is now considered the definitive cut that follows exactly how Wells wanted the movie cut. Shockingly enough, is a much better movie. Shockingly better. Turns out Orson Welles does know so, what the hell he's doing. So I've yeah. talked about Touch of Evil before, so rather than show the same clip I showed before, I instead have a clip of Orson Welles, when he lived in Europe, uh, was on several different TV shows, because again, he was an actor of note and a radio personality and a playwright, and he did everything. So 
he uh, was on this radio show where they asked him about the rise of quote-unquote horror films and comics because this was the 50s at the height of the scare where uh, EC comics and all those horror comics were like, you know, uh, the moral majority was all up in arms over the violence and how it was affecting our youth. And I think it's sort of an evergreen question that you hear about now it's video games that get painted with that brush or violent television but i like wells's response is very thoughtful to these british broadcasters that are just trying to literally stir up shit uh i thought it was worth watching so let's check that out there's been a, a certain amount of criticism of of the trends of american influence on things like horror comics and indeed on the films do you feel that there's anything really when you get down to it in the suggestion that American influence is towards a spread of juvenile delinquency through the world. I don't think that horror films or horror comics contribute to juvenile delinquency. I think that they may encourage psychotics and homicidal and other dangerous types. But juvenile delinquency is, a, I think, a symptom of the illness of our age. It doesn't come from lack of playgrounds or bad comic books but of a great longing for youth to have something to rebel against. You wouldn't say that children are imitative and that they tend to imitate what they see or read? If they were, they would have come from the bear pits and the Globe Theatre and committed some rather extraordinary acts in the Elizabethan days, you know. You don't think that the glorification of violence, which is shown even in, in some of the Westerns, gives them ideas, it would make them think they like to shoot from the hip or... Well, you because see, I think, <coughs> I think that all vital periods of the drama and of literature are periods of great violence and that all of our great plays and novels are violent. And I don't like them when, when they are poor novels or when they are not works of art, they become uh, shoddy and seem to be, uh, seem to be pandering. Yes, but usually wicked, you know. virtue triumphs, whereas in the horror comics it doesn't. Ah, uh, doesn't it? I don't think so, no. No, not always. Well, it doesn't in Edgar Allan Poe either, you know. No. <laughs> I it. love how he just is like, <laughs> well, it doesn't in Edgar Allan Poe either, so eat it. Um, so my next is, again, you know, talking about the ability of Japanese media to sort of uh, synthesize the experiences that they went through as a culture. One of the best examples of that is Godzilla, the classic 1954 Gojira uh, which was a huge hit immediately and came out in the U.S. And a lot of us grew up with the version that was made specifically for the U.S. where they cut the movie down and added a bunch of pointless scenes with Raymond Burr, which is the one I grew up with. Yeah. Um, the original is superior, but they're both worth watching. Um, and it's actually a weird... It's so 50s, but at the same time, it's such a timeless sort of message and it's so well made that it really holds up for me um but obviously godzilla is just a walking metaphor for atomic energy and you know nagasaki and hiroshima and the events that happened uh at those two sites and godzilla is a direct analog to nuclear power atomic power at the time um and man's 
inability to control the things that he releases into the world, uh, which is a theme we're still living out now. So um, still incredibly relevant, at least on a thematic level. And then on a monster level, this is the first kaiju film, which became an entire it cre- Godzilla literally created an entire genre of movies, giant monster movies, most of which 90 percent of which are nowhere near the level of quality that Godzilla is. Um, and Ishiro Honda, who directed this movie, ended up directing a whole bunch of Godzilla movies. Um, as a lifelong Godzilla fan, I've always loved it. So um, let's check out the OG Godzilla trailer from back in the day. Godzilla, king of the monsters, alive, surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. Godzilla, king of the monsters, it's alive. A gigantic beast. Docking the earth, crushing all before it in a cyclonic cavalcade of electrifying horror, raging through the streets on a rampage of total destruction. Godzilla, king of the monsters, incredible titan of terror, wiping out a city of six million in a holocaust of flame. Jet flames cannot destroy it. Bombs cannot kill it. All modern weapons fail. Is this the end of our civilization? Can the scientists of the world find a way to stop this creature? For the answer, see Godzilla, King of the Monsters. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. A tale to stun the mind. More fantastic than any ever written by Jules Byrne. More terrifying than any ever shown on the screen. Awesome. Incredible. Unbelievable! A story beyond your wildest dreams. Dynamic violence. Savage action. Spectacular thrills. Godzilla, king of the monsters. Fantastic beyond comprehension. Gripping beyond compare. Astounding beyond belief. The mightiest monster of them all. See Godzilla, king of the monsters. So it's obviously a cliche now, you know, the Japanese yeah. people running from the giant monster. But uh, the reason it's become a cliche is because Godzilla made such an impact. Um, and even they in, threw Jules Verne under the bus. <laughs> I know they did. Well, fuck Jules Verne. So in the, but even in the um, in the movie, the main scientist who comes up with the way to stop Godzilla is so concerned with his uh, invention being used to further war that he ends up sacrificing himself and making sure the invention can never be used again. So, I mean, the whole movie is just one long uh, atomic metaphor. Uh, And then finally, uh, something from 1958, and that is, of course, uh, some would say Hitchcock's best film, um, and that is 1958's Vertigo, starring Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak. Um, A complicated movie about obsession from a director who was obsessed with many of his actresses who he is known to have sexually harassed and abused in various ways, which makes this movie even creepier on a whole different level because poor Kim Novak was one of the actresses. She's talked about this before that he just sort of constantly harassed. Um, So uh, Vertigo is about a detective played by Jimmy Stewart who is uh, asked to find a woman who looks remarkably like his dead wife then he becomes obsessed with her starts asking her to dress like his wife and gets caught up in a larger web of intrigue but it's one of the greatest thrillers ever made it's uh one of the earliest examples of the of the way noir ended up 
changing to become almost more about the interior thoughts and feelings and emotions of the characters as opposed to more about the environment that they're in. It's more it's more you're inside Jimmy Stewart's character's head in a way that's wasn't that common and was kind of uncomfortable for the time. Uh, of course, the great comfortable now. Yeah. Of course, the great title sequence is from Saul Bass. It's one of the best looking movies Hitchcock ever shot and consistently considered one of the greatest movies ever made. I, I think with good reason. Um, and it's complicated and creepy like most 50s movies would be nowadays. So let's check out. I think I have the trailer or, or no, I have a clip, I think, from Vertigo. Let's check it out. feeling of dizziness, a swimming in the head, figuratively a state in which all things seem to be engulfed in a whirlpool of terror, as created by Alfred Hitchcock in the story that gives new meaning to the word suspense. I don't want to die. There's someone inside me. She says I must die. Scotty, don't let me go. A beautiful girl haunted by the desperate, unexplainable urge to destroy herself. A man possessed by the paralyzing vertigo that made him afraid of high places. Easy now. I know, I know. Ah, it's a cinch. I look up, I look down. I look up, I look... What was the strange attraction that brought these two together in spite of the dark forces that tore them apart? The specter from the past that drew her to the ancient headstone in the mission graveyard. The compulsion that drove her relentlessly to the point of no return. The story of a love so powerful it broke down all barriers between past and present, between life and death, between the golden girl in the dark tower and the tawdry redhead that he tried to remake in her image. I let you change me. Will that do it? If I do what you tell me, will you love me? Yes. All right. All right, then I'll do it. They don't care anymore about me. So, uh, horrifying Dolly Zoom. (laughs) I know. A great, yeah, that was a patented technique that uh, Hitchcock developed for this movie was you dolly back and zoom forward, and it creates that elongating of space. Um, But for this time, for its time, it was shocking because Jimmy Stewart was basically a Tom Hanks of his era. So it would be like if Tom Hanks played a movie now where he was kind of an obsessive creep making a woman dress how he wanted and being totally obsessed with her it was a shocking turn for him as an actor at the time which i think added to its notoriety uh, so those are three of my favorite 50s movies well done uh first what do you got go ahead sorry first me 1957 david lean's bridge on the river kwai uh he made a couple other little movies dr Zhivago and uh lawrence of arabia so lawrence of arabia is the shit he had a good run um he did all right <laughs> 
Bridge in the River Kwai, Kwai uh, stars Alec Guinness, William Holden, and John Hawkins as prisoners of war in a Japanese camp in Burma, and they're building a railway and a bridge over the River Kwai. And Alec Guinness is a British officer and sort of combats against uh, General Saito, Colonel Saito, who's the um, commandant, or what would the Japanese term be for? He's the head of the prison. Colonel. The warden. Um, and he tries to point out that it's all well and good to have enlisted men be workers, but uh, to try to get the officers is just a cut above. Jeez, that's disgusting. Um, and so they have a fight back and forth. They end up sort of coming to terms with the fact that only the uh, enlisted men are going to do it. The enlisted men are doing a really shitty job because it's a huge bridge that's going to be a military asset for the Japanese Eventually, Alec Guinness decides that they should build a great bridge because they're going to show everybody the benefits of English engineering. And mm. he kind of becomes an asshole at that point uh, and then gets the classic Stockholm syndrome and it becomes friends with Saito and they're trying they're really trying to build this bridge earlier. Two guys have escaped, and they're now tasked with the mission of coming back and blowing up the bridge. So it's sort of a character study in terms of what you're willing to do for country versus being an absolute crazy man. Um, and if you've only ever seen Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan, he did some other movies as well. So <laughs> He did have quite a career before Obi-Wan. Let's, uh, let's check out the scene of Alec Guinness being instructed in the fact that maybe the Geneva Convention isn't being uh, paid attention to in this Burmese camp. Back in your place. I must call your attention, Colonel Saito, to Article 27 of the Geneva Convention. Belligerents may employ as workmen prisoners of war who are physically fit other than officers... Same major book. And by all means, you read English, I take it. Do you read Japanese? I'm sorry, no, but if it's a matter of precise translation, I'm sure that can be arranged. You see, the code specifically states that the... Diverse in the ranks! You speak to me of code? What code? The coward's code. What do you know of the soldier's code? Of Bushido? Nothing! You are a worthy of command! Since you refuse to abide by the laws of the civilized world, we must consider ourselves absolved from our duty to obey you. My officers will not do manual labor. We shall see. All enlisted prisoners to work! Wait! That's all! Oh. you say! Sergeant Major, take the men to work. Take up, go! Move to the left, you Gulliver Road. Left, ah! Take companies, fire the right, quick, march! Fires, right! Fires, right! 
doesn't go so well for really anybody <laughs> in that movie. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> no, Pretty much everybody dies. It doesn't go well. <laughs> uh, second for me is another Alfred Hitchcock creepy-ass movie from the 50s, 1954's Rear Window, also starring Jimmy Stewart as a... He's taking a picture of you. Slightly lit. He's... Uh, well, I'm going to tell him in his ear, Jimmy, Jimmy, stop taking pictures of Gil. Uh, so this movie is Jimmy Stewart as a photographer who's broken his leg. I think it's like a horseback riding accident or yeah. something with horses. Like you do. Um, and so he's confined to a wheelchair and his girlfriend, Grace Kelly really wants to marry him. And I guess because James Stewart's the biggest asshole in the world, <laughs> just really doesn't want to marry Grace Kelly. Um, and so, ah, come on, it's not like you're one of the most beautiful women that's ever lived. Yeah. Um, so he's confined in this wheelchair in his apartment and he's basically looking out of his back window, overlooking his uh, the courtyard apartment in this apartment complex, building. Yeah. So he's. Seeing all these different people, and there's a lot of creepy, voyeuristic uh, tendencies, but he hears in the night a woman scream and a glass break, and also Raymond Burr, uh, pre-Perry Mason Raymond Burr, uh, is he's a traveling salesman, and so he has like big cases, and he's always going in and out, and Jimmy Stewart's convinced that Perry Mason has killed his wife and is constructing an elaborate case to not prosecute himself. Um, So... It sort of plays on the 50s paranoia of neighbors and also Alfred Hitchcock's weird peeping into windows. Um, so the viewers' weird peeping into. Yeah. I mean, you're forced. Makes you to, culpable in yeah. the whole thing. Um, so this is the sort of opening scene setting the, the, where, setting the scene for where he's is and also the fact that he doesn't want to marry Grace Kelly, which just seems batshit crazy. But uh, <laughs> let's check it out. So that's it. You won't stay here, and I can't go with you. It would be the wrong thing. You don't think either one of us could ever change? Right now, it doesn't seem so. I'm in love with you. I don't care what you do for a living. I'd just like to be part of it somehow. It's deflating to find out the only way I can be part of it is to take out a subscription to your magazine. I guess I'm not the girl I thought I was. Well, there's nothing wrong with you, Lazy. You've got this town on the palm of your hand. Not quite, it seems. Goodbye, Jeff. Well, you mean good night. I mean what I said. Well, well, Lisa, couldn't we just... Uh, couldn't we just keep things status quo? Without any future. Well, when am I going to see you again? Not for a long time. At least, not until tomorrow night.
Typical man. Lack of commitment issues. Uh, And lastly is 1954 Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, which is pretty much the three amigos in Japan. Um, The seven amigos. Yeah. Plus four other amigos. Um, I feel like we've talked about... The siete amigos. If you like... Magnificent Seven or Samurai Seven or A Bug's Life or Three Amigos, you should check out Seven Samurai and see where it all came from. Um, this trailer, the clip I pulled is really, really long, but I think by the time this runs, You'll have I'll a shorter have one. found a shorter one. So, I think there's uh, a newer Criterion Collection. Yeah, that's what I thought I'd shorter. done, and I think I just... Uh, Shut, did the original. Yeah, yeah. Fat thumbs it. And uh, let's check out a to-be-determined clip Some about shit. the dope-ass Seven Samurai. Great movie, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, so those are some of our favorite 1950s movies. Uh, not just set in the 50s, made in the 50s is the definitive question. Yeah. It came up in our pre-production Oh, meeting, I guess that's... And I, I didn't mean, even think about that. But I mean, hopefully... Colloquially, I think most people would assume it means you know released in the 50s. Yeah. Well, let's find out. Yeah. Let's check out Adult Swim Facebook's top five picks. 
Seven Samurai, Godzilla, Twelve Angry Men yeah, is the shit. The Blob and Rebel Without a Cause, all great movies. I love and that them all. Glitching is intentional. That's countdown glitching. We're not yeah. having. You're not having issues streaming our lovely program. I'm glad you Just clarified that for everyone. Uh, let's take a look at the Toonami Facebook picks. I bet they're going to be similar. Godzilla, Twelve Angry Men, Seven Samurai, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and Roman Holiday, all considered classics. Nice. I don't really like Roman Holiday. I don't either, but. But can't, you know, can't yeah. front on those guys. Um, so next up, we have a sneak peek for this week's episode of Dragon Ball Super. This is a promo for episode 40 of Dragon Ball Super. I can't believe we're already up to 40. Uh, and that will premiere this Saturday night at 11 p.m. So let's take a sneak peek at it. Slightly after 11. On the next all-new episode of Dragon Ball Super. My time skip has advanced so much you can't keep up with me anymore. <laughs> Dragon Ball Super, Saturday at 11. Yo, Lord Beerus, I'd like you to lift all the rules for the tournament. Are you not afraid that you might die? Oh, you're not going to get me like that again. Only Toonami on Adult Swim. He's already already died like five times. Super Rampages. Yeah. Um, And as Pedantic Gill pointed out, it's actually slightly after 11 because we will be premiering the Second episode of Countdown, our special Toonami event, right before. And uh, speaking of Countdown, here is a promo for this week's episode of Countdown, which premieres it's right also, before Dragon Ball. It's going to be, this will be episode one, if you haven't seen it or want to re-see it. Oh, okay. With the promo. So All right. So one gotcha. big jam So jam. this is episode one, followed by a promo for episode two. So let's check those out. And this is my take on the Cranberry Nebula. The way it looked to me after a week on Current Echo 68, anyway. This one's an artistic interpretation of a corrupt memory file I found in my subsystems. And this one is just... me. No feelings about my paintings. What's up with you, Sarah? Your spectral analyzer on the fritz? Oh, (laughs) you actually are looking for a critical response to your artistic endeavors? Um... Yes. Accessing file. When you just don't have the words. Jeez, you think you know an artificial intelligence. Oh, Tom, I'm sorry. Our programming has organically developed an interpersonal relationship built upon trust, but always with an outward display of banter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Tom, I never thought you were taking this whole art thing seriously. I just thought you were, I don't know, bored. Well, sure, but that doesn't mean I don't have feelings somewhere. Tom, I honestly didn't know you'd be upset. I'm, I'm sorry. Look, I'm not saying I won't get over it. I'm just saying I don't want to talk about it, okay? I just need to be mad at you. Tom? Hello, Sarah. It's good to see you. Like this. Just know that I'm sorry, but we've run out of options. Out of options? What are you talking about? What just happened? I just need to be mad at you for a minute. 
Huh? Wait. Okay, either I'm having a really vivid daydream, or something really bad just happened. What are the odds it's not the second option? Sarah? Sarah? Where could she be? Um... Hey there, Clydes. Countdown continues next Saturday at 11 p.m. Only Toonami on Adult Swim. What do you think's gonna happen? I don't know. I, uh... Forgot. <laughs> I hopefully, could almost believe that, actually. Hopefully you're enjoying Countdown. It seemed like generally like positive. Yeah. Feedback. We'll see how, when we get farther into it, if the uh, certain plot questions get brought to our attention. I was watching the first episode live <laughs> with my wife, and one of the lines I pulled basically from her being mad at me and saying, mm. I don't just want to, I'm not saying I won't get over it, I just want to be mad at you for a little bit. And yeah. I was like, here, see if you notice it. She's <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> but, uh, so you made her mad at you. Yeah. And then she had to get over just it briefly, and be mad though. for a little bit. It was a fun little moment, though. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and next up, we have uh, something we haven't had for a while, which is uh, a new episode of a new installment of You Tweet Me Watch from Dana Swanson, voice of Sarah, in which you guys suggest old pre-2000s anime for her to check out. So this time she checked out Lily Cat. Really? Lily Cat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which I don't think I've seen. So I'm interested to see what uh, she felt about Lily Cat and what the hell it is. I think she's going to like it. It's cats. Yeah, it's true. Hey, it's Dana Swanson with You Tweet Me Watch. That's where you tweet me a pre-2K thing that I should watch. So, uh, at Roots of Justice tweeted me, Lily Cat, alien and the thing mashed up with a locked room mystery in a gloriously cheesy OVA. And you know what? I totally agree. It hit all of those points. It was uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, and then the Aliens franchise had a child together in space, which... The whole alien thing already happens in space, but just more space. So this villain kind of looks like a, a floating cockroach booger most of the time that we see it. There's all these people that work in different divisions of a multinational corporation, SimCam, which I am not going to Google because I think it's probably something gross now. Speaking of that, there are some odd sexual innuendos right off the bat. I mean, a lot more practical than your little pea shooter. Pea shooter? What? She's very sweet for a barracuda, but uh, don't touch her pussycat. Any toots, SinCam sends this ragtag group of Australians, you got medics, you got president's daughters, to scope this faraway planet for uh, mining rights. Does that sound familiar at all? Hmm, interesting. So they go into hypersleep. Also, does that sound familiar? And then they, they bring aboard a pet cat. Pretty fond of cats, are you? I suppose I am. Which, that sounds familiar, but it's not Jones. It's a cat named Lily. Yes, owned by the president's daughter. Lily is the very first to wake up and confront this sort of, like, booger bacteria transformative thing. So this thing starts to, like, take over people's bodies with its blood tentacles, and then everyone suspects everyone else of carrying this virus, or sneaking on the ship, or screwing up the ship, or being a ship. It's a whole lot. There are like 20 characters in this and about as many plot threads, but thankfully there are like at least 20 shots of this adorable cat. <laughs> Come here, little pussy cat. Yeah, is that a girl? 
I'm not gonna show any of those shots that are not fun because I can't relive that psychologically. <laughs> Nothing bad happens to that cat. Nothing. Later on, we discover that CAT stands for something special, much like in the title, because it's all abbreviated acronyms. Computer Analyzed Techno Rave, which is what I'm calling it because I looked away when they explained it. Fascinating. I've never seen anything move like that. Fun facts on why you should check this out. First of all, your boy Yoshitaka Amano was one of the character designers. Second of all, Roots of Justice, you were totally right in everything. And, you know, there's some, uh, there's some good quotes. Like, whenever people get destroyed by blood tentacles, it's kind of fun. And it leads them to this. But why metabolize everything but our clothing? My question exactly! Why do they do that? They came up with a scientific explanation, but there's clothes everywhere. Why should I be the one to suffer for something that I never had anything to do with? Anyway, this has been hashtag you tweet me watch. You got something I should watch? Get at me. I'm at Dana's a girl on Twitter. Yeah, I might I might have to check out Lily Cat. Yeah. Um I do like eighties anime. It's a nostalgic and cats. thing. Yeah, and cats. I do like cats. Um have two of them. So um and then next up we have this week's Adults from Single. From rapper Saba, he's coming up and coming young man. He's very good. Uh, this is track twenty nine in our series of fifty two singles. We release a new one every single Wednesday around noon. You can get them all at adultsum.com slash singles. And this is the let's check out a sample of the song three sixty by Saba. Hey, uh, look, if I let you pay my page, will I get paid? Will I just get made fun of for numbers of reasons of fear of defeating? If I sign like checks, do I get checks? Hey. Or will I just get played? Checking mates, crate and barrel, buy a home, start a family. It's hard romancing when love is in a new state each night. And all I XX white, promise room and board and flight. I want two into your mind. I want two to the entire US of A. If I sign the page, don't sell me no white lie. Won't settle for no lie. And again, come back next week and every week for the next 20 some odd weeks for another new free Adult Swim single. And in addition to that, we also uh, have taken a hand in the new project from producer Dabri, who is sort of a legendary beat maker that I've always loved. Um, he has been retired from beat making for at least a decade, but he made two classic albums, one, three, and two, three. And so Adult Swim is teaming up with Ghostly Records to release his third album and the final part of this trilogy, three, three, you guessed it. Uh, and so yesterday we released the first single, um, which is Dabri featuring Rock Marciano. Our graphic right now says Rav Marciano, but it will it's hopefully... It's his cousin. It's not... Be, uh, his cousin Rav. Yeah. It'll hopefully be fixed to say Rock Marciano, Kel Chris, and, of course, Detroit's own Danny Brown. Um, so let's check out a sample of that. Victory is seized, bitch strip tease. I might drop 50 on a pinky ring. Pull up like where the holes attack, got air holes. Don't you ever compare me to those sandbows. Cut the top off the rose, call it Amber Rose. I got so many holes, I'm like the lead singing cameo. But I don't taste like candy though. Tear P, cold tap dance. So you can check that out at adultswim.com slash Dabri, and we'll be releasing a couple more tracks over the next few weeks. And in about a month and a half, we'll have the whole album drop. 
Um, it's well worth checking out if you like hip hop. So it's a couple singles, and then after that, the, the rest the of the album. album yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Um, and I was happy, happily enough, asked to take part in putting the album together. So I had a pretty big hand in pulling together the MCs and listening to it and helping figure out the flow and stuff like that. So it was a dream come true for me because I've been a huge Dobry fan for a long, long time. So thanks to Ghostly and thanks to Tad for allowing me to uh, work on the record. And that's it for this week's pre-flight. We don't have any other shit to talk about. No, so then it's almost we're out of time. Yeah. Probably. So what are you More doing? Get out of here. Go Bye. live life. Goodbye. Tsunami every Saturday night from 11 to 3 30.